This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. A new clinical trial aims to help medical cannabis patients get the right treatment at the right dose. And cottage country real estate surges in the midst of the pandemic. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new report shows how dangerous COVID-19 can be for cancer patients. The study from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Oncology Center of Excellence found that a COVID-19 diagnosis raised a patient's odds of death 16-fold compared to cancer patients without the coronavirus. Cancer patients with COVID-19 were also more likely to have other health issues like kidney failure, obesity, or heart disease, all of which have also been tied to an increased risk for severe coronavirus illness. While alcohol consumption is up during the pandemic, a new study has sobering news about how much is too much. Apparently, one drink per day is the limit for both men and women, according to U.S. experts. Authors of the U.S. Dietary Guidelines for Americans say most people could benefit from any reduction in alcohol, even if not within the new recommended guidelines, which have been updated for the first time in five years. Cinnamon improves blood sugar levels in people with pre-diabetes and could slow the progression of type 2 diabetes. Researchers in South Korea, the U.S., and Germany investigated the effects of cinnamon supplements in pre-diabetic people between the ages of 20 and 70. They found glucose levels remained stable in patients who received a cinnamon supplement compared with those who don't. The study doesn't prove that cinnamon manages or prevents diabetes. A German court this week convicted a 93-year-old of being an accessory to over 5,000 counts of murder at the Stutthof concentration camp. That's how many people are believed to have been killed during his service in 1944 and 45 during the Second World War. The wheelchair-bound Bruno Day apologized for his role in the Nazis' machinery of destruction, saying it must never be repeated. I've been continuing my treatment, and it is paying off. Alex Trebek said he's doing well at the latest update on his pancreatic cancer. It was at the launch of his new memoir called Reflections on My Life. The longtime Jeopardy host, who turned 80 on Wednesday, says his numbers are good and he's feeling great, although he does experience fatigue. In March, Trebek marked a year since his diagnosis and noted the one-year survival rate is 18% for people with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. I'm Louise Neimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Over a million Canadians use medical cannabis to treat everything from nausea to chronic pain. 
but there's a lack of rigorous clinical evidence demonstrating its efficacy for specific conditions. The University Health Network is launching a new clinical trial in partnership with Shoppers Drug Mart to help doctors prescribe the right medicine for the right patient at the right dose. The medical cannabis real-world evidence study will track the outcomes of 2,000 patients using verified and validated medical cannabis products. I talked with trial lead Dr. Hans Clark, Director of Pain Services at Toronto General Hospital. What we'll be doing is, uh, you know, uh, enrolling about 2,000 Canadians uh, from coast to coast that has a condition that a physician is interested in, in terms of prescribing a medical cannabis product and uh, following them in terms of their pain, sleep, anxiety, depression, quality of life over that uh, following six months. What's the issue now for patients who want to use medical cannabis? First would be understanding which products uh, to use, uh, finding a physician to authorize cannabis, and then if they access the product, uh, the variation sometimes that exists from batch to batch. What we're hoping to do is, based on the number of patients that are enrolled in the study and are consuming validated products, so products that we know exactly what's in, we can't study the effect unless we know what people are taking. And so that's what this does. This will enable us to find those signals in terms of which parts of the cannabis molecule are important and then understand how to ultimately go about testing it for those conditions you want to, to, to know more about. And do you find that you need very different strains and doses for different types of conditions? What we know is that uh, the story that the cannabis is the utopia of society probably isn't accurate. You know, there are patients that we will be able to figure out what, uh, you know, you know, what level of THC or CBD or CBN or some of these other molecules are that are uh, helpful for their condition. We today do not know exactly which cannabinoid affects which particular disease. And that's where we want to get. So how are you setting up the study to find that out? Uh, patients will be enrolled by their physician. They will consent to this. This has been approved uh, by a research ethics board. They will uh, be filling out baseline questionnaires in, with respect to their pain, their uh, anxiety, depression scores, their sleep quality, as well as their quality of life. Uh, they will then be asked these questions at the six-week and three-month and six-month mark, and we will be tracking the, the validated products within the system to see what happens to these patients over the, over the course of six months. At the end of this, obviously, we'll go back in and we'll analyze the various constituents and strains and products and the outcomes that the patients themselves have told us. What are you hoping to have by the end of it? Are you hoping for some kind of definitive results? I see patients in chronic pain all the time. We know about the opioid crisis. We know people are still struggling. We know that you know, there are, there are uh, many millions of Canadians on, on high-dose opioids. And, and, you know, this is also one of those opportunities we have to get the story right in terms of, you know, is cannabis uh, a player in this space? And how do we go about answering this? And so I think we must start with understanding what those inputs are from the, from the product perspective to then measure the outcomes and, and, and help those Canadians with alternatives, with the evidence and with the science as we move this forward. 
Now, a lot of doctors are reluctant to prescribe medical cannabis. Why is that? I think uh, we're hitting on the exact uh, reason as to why. The products that are in the marketplace just don't have robust science or evidence behind it. And so this is that starting point. Not only they struggle with the variation, as we've been talking about, from product to product. And so, uh, you know, this is the starting block to getting some of that evidence. And if I were a physician or even a patient, I would want to know that whatever product I was authorized by my doctor, I could get the exact same product the next time I uh, need it. My understanding is that, that Canada is a leader in the world in this research. Is that right? We are absolutely a leader in this uh, space in terms of an industry. We are also further ahead in terms of integrating it into society. From a science and a medicine standpoint, this is our opportunity to be a leader in that space as well. Are you going to explore something that's kind of akin to personalized medicine, like you have in cancer treatment, that you know, the, some, some people respond to certain drugs because of their genetic makeup and not others? And we know we see that in uh, with pharmacologic medications as well, which is what cannabis would be. And so, absolutely, we'll start to get some fingerprints as to uh, which strains and which individuals respond. Uh, you know, what what constituents in uh, a product might help nerve pain or neuropathic pain? What might help fibromyalgia? What uh, you know might help insomnia? Uh, all of these things will be able to put some uh, data around then uh, moving to the next level of, of specifically looking at these conditions. Absolutely. Dr. Hans Clark, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Libby. That was Dr. Hans Clark, Director of Pain Services at Toronto General Hospital. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. If the restrictions of COVID-19 have you hankering for a more bucolic setting, you're not alone. Being cooped up and working from home has led to a boom in cottage country as city dwellers look to escape to their own piece of paradise. I reached Catherine Innes, a realtor with Johnston & Daniel Rushbrook Realty. I'm over the surprise now because it's been happening for a few months, but initially in March, the market was very slow. And so, uh, yes, pleasantly surprised that it, uh, it was just a late market and took this big surge. So as the uh, president of the uh, local association, it's called the Lakelands Realtors Association that covers, uh, Muskoka, Halliburton, Aurelia and, uh, Perry Sound, gives me a pretty good overview of what's happening here, and there's a lot happening here. What's the percentage increase, first of all? Well, the percentage increase, the volume is up to about uh, $250 million in sales. So it's up from 2019, 116.8%. Wow. Yeah, it really is a wow. Um, the uh, the Muskoka waterfront median is uh, 810000 it's up uh, 15.8%. And uh, the um, median price of non-waterfront um, is uh, 419900 um, But it's, uh, it, that was uh, May, and it's down to 405000 for June. So I attribute that to uh, a lot more being on the marketplace. So there isn't, uh, there's still a lot of competition for property here, but uh, off the, uh, the water, it's slightly lessened, Libby. This is being driven by COVID-19. Yeah, I think a lot of it's driven by COVID-19 because I think that uh, people were um, 
there was some pent-up demand. I mean, there, uh, property in Muskoka is always popular. But I think when people realized that they couldn't get out and for a while they couldn't even go to a public park, that it was time to uh, get themselves a little more space. There are a lot of small towns here that are nice to uh, to shop in. Uh, people perceive uh, that it's a lot safer here because that uh, you can distance yourself a little more um, easily. But I think there are a number of other reasons as well. Uh, we saw the stock market take a, a big dive at the beginning of this, and I think that uh, gave some people pause. I think they thought that... Uh, um, why not have a, a safer investment? Uh, real estate is known to be uh, quite solid, and particularly in Muskoka, there are very few variations, and uh, that they might as well enjoy their investment while it's accruing value. What about the conditions that people are living in during the pandemic? What are the conditions that had an impact? I think that uh, people were, um, particularly if they were in condominiums, they were very much uh, stuck inside. But uh, people are looking for a little more space. And we find with, uh, with year-round uh, cottages, uh, four-season cottages, people are often saying now that they would like to have um, an office space as well. Because of the pandemic, a lot of employers, as you know, have uh, encouraged or insisted that people work from home. And um, so now that that uh, barrier has been um, broken, uh, people are thinking, if I can work from home, why can't I work from Muskoka? Uh, and then uh, perhaps visit the city or visit uh, the uh, the town that they're from on occasion rather than having to live there full-time. What about multi-generational cottages? Is that a thing? Yes. Oftentimes, uh, uh, boomers are buying property with the idea in mind that their adult children and grandchildren will use it along with them. So uh, that's, uh, that is uh, a must for most of, most of my clients. What is your advice for people looking for a cottage? Find a local realtor. Uh, we have lots of horror stories about people coming here with realtors from out of the area. They have no idea uh, what they're doing. And it's our uh, mandate as licensed realtors to uh, represent our clients properly in places that we know the ins and outs. Are there bidding wars there? Yes. Can you give me so a little bit of an idea about how they go? As long as it's well researched, then you'll be ready to um, uh, buy uh, once you uh, once you get here. And um, if you are in competition, then it uh, it becomes a little more um, frantic. Uh, all the more reason to get advice from a realtor because you don't want to end up getting carried away and paying way too much for the uh, the property. Catherine Innes, thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. Bye for now. That was Cottage Country Realtor Catherine Innes. brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Weekend Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.